Welcome to Let's Face the Facts. I'm David Almeida, and I'm your host for this rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom The Facts of Life. I'm an actor in Orlando, Florida, and every week I bring you some of the greatest talent in the Central Florida arts community. Join us as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show, episode by episode. Hello again, guys. Thank you so much for downloading and for pressing play. It's another show, another week, another time to face the facts. My guest this week is Lynn Ryder. Lynn is an actress. She's an improviser. She's a writer. We didn't even really talk much about her writing projects, but we do talk a lot about her performance. Lynn had never been on a podcast before I approached her. And when I asked her about doing it, she said she was both fascinated and terrified at the prospect. (laughs) And that's so weird because Lynn is one of those, she's like a titan of interactive and improvisational performance where she's she's a master at rolling with the punches and being just loose and free and funny. And uh, you're going to hear all of those qualities on this show. And... um, Yeah, it's just really funny that this in any way, shape, or form intimidated her because to me, Lynn is just uh, one of the best, really. This week, Lynn and I hopped onto Zoom after we watched Season 5, Episode 16, called All or Nothing, and the original air date was January 18th, 1984. I think we're ready to jump on in. Let's face the facts with Lynn Ryder. Well, Lynn Ryder, as I live and breathe. David Almeida, how are you? I feel like I just did a Jody Chase impersonation. David Almeida, how are you? Her Tony Caprice. Hello, darling. Tony Caprice here. That's, I got to get Jody back on. Jody was on um, a little, God, uh, of back in like season one or two. So I oh, got to wow. get Jody back. And, and John. Be like season... Season five now? Is that where we're in season five <laughs> yeah. right now? But yeah. yeah, but imagine opening up my Zoom and there you are talking <gasps> to me about the facts of life. What a coinky dink. What a freaky world we live in. Yes. Who would have thought? Who would have? Who would have? Thank you so much for being here and for doing this. Thank you this. for inviting me. Well, we have a Lulu of an episode that we need to discuss here. We do. Oh, so relevant, don't you think? <laughs> um, yeah, so, so relevant. And it's funny this how... politics episode. <laughs> yeah, and it's so funny how these happen and, and land on certain times when you're like, oh my God. The episode that we watched is a season, let me, do, let me take care of kind of the business end of this. Season right, five, go, episode go 16, it. it was called All or Nothing. The original air date was January 18th of 1984. It was written by Bob Meyer and Bob Young. They are also program consultants, and this is their third of 10 episodes that they will eventually write for the show. And uh, down the road, uh, they will also become story editors and producers in the later seasons. So they're, they're pretty involved in the show. And they will go on to write and or produce various shows individually and separately, including My Two Dads, Roseanne, 227, Sybil, Happily Divorced, Mike and Molly, and Melissa and Joey. Wow. They're still going at it, man. That's impressive. 
Yeah. And the episode was directed by Asad Kalada, who is the in-house director. He directed all but just a handful of episodes this season and last season. Mm, that's when he was in rehab, right? Yeah. <laughs> I wondered. I wondered the Asad like, rehab episode. <laughs> it's like, I need a vacation. <laughs> I have nothing but teenage it's, girls surrounding me. Coke habit caught up with him. Yeah. <laughs> he had to wear the ankle, ankle bracelet. You know, all those, all those teenage uh, girls. He was bound man. to get into trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Just to sign these horrible histories for everyone involved with the show. <laughs> now, did you uh, watch the show at any time growing up? Was this a show I that did. was in your life? I did. Uh, it came at a weird time for me. Um, I think it started in, what, 1979? Correct. So, yeah. So I was kind of... Uh, so I would have been about 13, 14, 15 when I was watching the show. But then at some point, it became really uncool to watch Facts of Life. So I sort of secretly watched it, but it's not like I showed up at school. It's like, hey, did everyone see what, how, what Blair's hair looked like? On the, you know, it just wasn't something you talk about. But I, I did secretly watch it up until I think about the time that they graduated. And then I kind of, uh, you know, life took over and I had other things to do. But yeah, mm-hmm. but I, I uh, yeah, I would catch it in reruns quite often. Yeah, well, so. we're, we're very close in age. And it was the same thing where as it progressed and evolved and changed, mm-hmm. I drifted away from it too as I got involved in high school and college yeah. things. And, yeah. and I think it, it, I've never heard anybody say it explicitly like that, that it was no longer cool to watch the facts of life. I'm thinking that might have been what are the later seasons, the over our heads years, because that was when it moved to the powerhouse Saturday night lineup on NBC. Oh. If you think about it, it's like, did you see the facts of life? It's like, uh, no, I was no, I was drinking. getting stoned in my friend's basement. What were you, loser? <laughs> exactly. Doing poppers. What are you? <laughs> my grandmother watches that. It's right before the Golden Girls. What's the matter with you? Aerosol out of whipped cream cans. What are you, what are you doing with your Saturday night? What a dork. I was facts making toilet life. wine in my rec room. <laughs> I hope there's a rock band named Toilet Wine <laughs> somewhere. That would be a great name. Well, they opened for Limp Biscuit, I think. I don't know. <laughs> that goes out to Kevin White. Kevin White, that's his favorite game. That, that, Kevin White, yes. I, another person. I need to get him on the show, damn it. There's still oh, you absolutely. So many. You need I've to done, get Kevin. I've done 96 of these, and I still wow. have a list a mile long of the people wow. that I want to get on the show, yourself included, so oh that's why God. I'm thrilled to have you here. Well, and, I'm, thr- I'm thrilled to be asked, but yeah, Kevin White, he'll tear, he'll tear oh, this up. He will. I remember <laughs> at one point, uh, he, was, he was working on his stand-up, and it had to do with like uh, kids' toys and sex or something, and I remember... I somehow threw out the term strawberry shortcake gangbang. And Kevin, <laughs> I was delighted, quickly took out his pad and wrote it down. He scribbled it down like, that's something I need to remember and maybe incorporate it into the bit. So I hope somewhere, somehow, there is a stand-up oh, audience. Showed up on stage that had the privilege of hearing the strawberry shortcake gangbang joke. Yeah, again, <laughs> another great band name. I hope it happens. <laughs> So before we begin the microscopic dissection that is about to take place, Lynn, on my show, 
I always ask my guests if I may put you on the spot. Would you please give just a general synopsis of what we watched, similar to just a one or two sentence listing you might see in a TV guide? What did we watch? Oh, God. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So Joe is elected to some bullshit council on the college. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) And... uh, fights a campaign uh, uh, in the uh, in environment of severe budget cuts, which affects scholarships. Uh, she fights a campaign to have uh, the money that is donated from a rich benefactor um, that is going to be used to build a football st- a stadium scoreboard. Mm-hmm. Uh, she fights, she's fighting for scholarship money, but, in the process, learns the valuable lesson that absolute power corrupts absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Beautiful. With great power comes great responsibility. Also, and that, and that women should not be put into leadership positions. I think it, that's that, I've more. been saying this for years. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Lynn. That is the dystopian Trumpian interpretation of this I know. Because <laughs> exactly. everything glimpse. is in context, is it not? <laughs> yeah, it's a glimpse into the future. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to get into this now. We're going to start right. at the beginning Ooh. of the episode. Our first scene, okay. we are in the house behind the shop where all of the girls live. Edna's and, Edibles, right? Yes, Edna's Edibles. But we're in the house right now. Mrs. Garrett is playing solitaire. And Joe comes in and asks her what's for dinner. And Mrs. Garrett is mm-hmm. kind of elusive and distracted. It's uncharacteristic of her not to be completely absorbed in the needs of her girls. Exactly. She's playing solitaire. That is arguably the most selfish thing we've ever seen her do. (laughs) (laughs) That is so off-brand for her to play a game by herself for her own singular pleasure. Open a fucking piece in that house. <laughs> exactly. I don't know what your rules are about cursing, so I apologize. No, please. I encourage you to curse a lot. And uh, so, but this also baits the question. I've always said, since we got into the Edna's Edibles, which is only, you know, we're halfway through that season mm-hmm. now. Yeah. I've always been like, I wish we had set up some really hard and fast rules about the conditions of their living there. Before it was, oh, Joe, come live here and help on out. And, and it's like, well, okay, help out. They, there was the talk of them not working and they do earn money. Like Natalie had a paycheck issue because mm-hmm. she was working yeah. her responsibilities. And I'm like, why are they getting paychecks at all? They're basically getting free room and I would assume free board that Mrs. Garrett also cooks for them and that they eat there. Case in point, Joe saying, hey, what's for dinner? It's like, bitch, I'm not your mother. What the fuck? (laughs) Which begs the awkward question, what is the real arrangement going on here? mm -hmm. I'm I'm sure you've had plenty of episodes that have talked about Edna Garrett and her relationship with these girls and what nefarious, like, you know, does she have a, you know, does she keep jars of Blair's fingernail clippings in her, you know, tucked away in the closet somewhere. Is she, you know, is there something else going on here that we don't... We, we actually you know, haven't she, really talked about Mrs. Is she Garrett. Building, building a girl, you know, with like <laughs> pieces of hair from hairbrushes that she's been collecting over the years. She never did have a she's daughter. She's building a daughter. <laughs> exactly. She only has two sons. She never had a daughter, Lynn. 
<laughs> you hit on something. Exactly. Oh my goodness. <laughs> but the thing is, the, the, the other thing is always remember, as Matthew Arder says, the show is much better if you think of Edna's edibles as not being a gourmet food store, but as being a drug front. <laughs> so she's been cutting the cocaine and planting the weed and all that stuff. So she, you know, must have time to make them dinner or pot brownies or something. Right, right. We don't see the, the weed farm in the, <laughs> on the other mm-hmm. side of the property. <laughs> yeah, or in the basement. That's interesting. Or in the I basement. We, yeah. I don't think we ever go into the basement. And it's like... This is, is there a basement? Do we know that there is there confirmation that there is a basement? Um, I, I mean, I'm from Massachusetts. I'm from the Northeast. I feel like every single building in existence up there has a basement. Are they still in the, what, the Peekskills, whatever? They're Peekskill, New York. It's an hour north yeah, of in, the city. They're in they a, are in Peekskill. They're still yeah. in Peekskill. Yeah, the okay. girls go to a fictional school in a non-fictional yeah. town. Right. And it, it's very, very bizarre uh, that we, I, I can't say for sure if we ever go into the basement. We know there's an attic. That's kind of where they um, live is upstairs. But, uh, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, we are we are four <laughs> we nanoseconds. <digress. laughs> well, we digress. We, we got it. All uh, right. So, but then we quickly learn when Mrs. Garrett says, "Oh, there's some extra shit salad out in the store. <laughs> Go get salad. it." And so they walk out there, and as soon as Joe walks in, surprise! <laughs> It is a big ass party with decorations and streamers and uh, eight. I think there's extras. at least six people in the room. There are six people. Well, no, I, I counted eight. Eight extras in there's addition eight to to all the girls. In addition to the girls. The so, girls. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's right. I always say, feel free to join me in my bad Mrs. Garrett impression. So you, you did so organically, but please know you're always welcome to, to do that and share a bad Mrs. Garrett because mine is terrible. Absolutely. <laughs> I do want to talk a little bit about uh, wardrobe design for Edna Garrett. I don't know if this is a topic that you, please, you have covered. It is a topic we talk about constantly. Yeah, I figured it probably was. So I'm just... <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah. So what is your, what is your feeling about her wardrobe design? <sighs> it's, um, <laughs> it is variations on a theme and it's trying to be stylish, but matronly. Um, there are times I am very, very sure she does not wear a bra <laughs> and that's disturbing. I think this, if it wasn't this episode, it was one of the other more recent ones, I forget. But I've, I've suspected that a couple a lot of, of times. Bouncing. But you tell me what you, what you think about her wardrobe. Well, you know, it, it, it is variations on a theme. And I, it, there's, it always struck me as sort of almost, it always appeared to me that, you know, that, yeah, they try to make her look like, a, you know, a dowager from some Dickensian novel, you know, between, <laughs> between those blouses that look like, you know, she's, she's on her way to a casting call for arsenic and old lace. Um, <laughs> and the know. hair too, the, the Gibson girl yeah, turn of the century the, hairdo. The hair too. It's like, and that's, you know, that's like a whole separate, like, what did they shove like a, you know, a, a pig's bladder and fill it up with, you know, like an air <laughs> compressor and just inflate the thing. I'm like, I just, I just, her look is just, 
probably probably elicits far more attention than was intended. Yes. All right. Um, so the big celebration that's going on is to congratulate Joe for being elected to, I believe the term you used was some bullshit committee, bullshit. I believe was the term you used, Lynn, and I could not agree more because what they, the term they used is the Board of Regents at ah, Langley that's College. Right. Yes, that's right. And it's a really weird term, but I did do some research because I was like, is there a standard for how colleges have governing bodies? And it turns out that some of them do have boards of regents. And I started looking up seeing, well, what, uh, like, you know, what does Cornell have? Cornell has a board of <laughs> trustees. And then I looked at Harvard. Harvard has two governing bodies, a uh, board of overseers. That's not ominous <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah, and, and at the same time, terribly oh, uncreative. men. <laughs> yeah, and I was saying ter terribly uncreative in terms of, let's see, we need a board of people to oversee. What the, we'll call them the board of overseers. Done, next. Nice work, Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's why, that's why Harvard's not known for their uh, art, humanities, and creativity department. It struck me as a little odd that there were students on the Board of Regents. I don't know if that's a standard thing, but it kind of struck me as, I mean, obviously it was tokenism because, you know, the students, you know, didn't really do anything except for, you know, Jamie Gertz, who just sort of ran around taking notes and yeah. playing her usual. Well, that's not unusual. I did look up- Her usual square pegs character. Yeah, exactly. You're not the first person to, to notice that. That's true. Until, well, no, that, and then she grew up and, you know, Fell in mm -hmm. love with a dirty vampire, so. And then, and then got into Twister, and the rest is history. And then got into Twister, yeah. Yeah. And then became uh, an uptight psychiatrist. <laughs> yes, yes, true. Back to the trope. <laughs> but yeah, there are, on one of these boards, there is, uh, it does say that there are students, but the existence of such a group is not crazy. And um, I do need to do a corrections corner, Lynn, before we can continue. I've been saying that uh, Langley College is an Ivy League college. When Blair was accepted to her colleges, she listed uh -huh. off Wellesley, Smith, and Langley. And now two of those are real. Langley mm -hmm. is fictional, and that's where she goes now. And in my brain, I was thinking Wellesley and Smith, those are very well-regarded colleges. And in my brain, I was thinking, yeah, those are Ivy League schools. They, they mm -hmm. really, they're up there. Uh, they are not. So Langley is supposed to be on par with the good colleges, but mm -hmm. there are only eight Ivy League colleges in the country. I didn't realize it was such a small niche. Yeah, I'm actually surprised there are eight. <laughs> oh, you thought there were fewer? I thought there were like, yeah, six. Oh, okay. But yeah. I, always forget, I always forget about what, Northwestern, I think? Uh, um, it's University of Pennsylvania, Harvard, mm -hmm. oh, Yale, Oh, really? Princeton. University of Pennsylvania? Yeah, yeah. Isn't that weird? Uh, and then Brown, Cornell, Columbia, Dartmouth. That's oh, I it. thought for some reason, I thought Northwestern was, okay. Yeah, it is not. Wow. But Northwestern, Pennsylvania. that's where Charlotte Ray went to school and studied theater. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's, has a, it has a great reputation. It's a very hard school to get into. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, totally. No, they got a great program there. Mm -hmm. um, so that is my correction that I have for the last... Uh, several weeks been referring to Langley as an Ivy League college, Ivy League. only inferring that from them putting it on par with Wellesley and Smith. Not true. Wellesley and Smith are good colleges, uh, but not 
uh, Ivy League good colleges. It's a private, private liberal arts college. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So anyhow, this whole being elected to the Board of Regents is such a big deal because it warranted us, not just a party, not just a celebration, a surprise party. Wow. That's a very sitcom trope. Just say which sausage was served. <laughs> bratwurst, uncooked. Bratwurst, it was foul looking. <laughs> uncooked bratwurst. It, it was a like light. Gra- it looked like Graham Murphy's picture of his leg that he just posted. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Look like an unglazed ham. <laughs> <laughs> Graham Murphy, another person I need to get on the show. We're gonna. This to is get, our yeah. running thing. This whole episode. We need to get them on the show too. So like Graham a- Murphy, coming for you. <laughs> Okay, um, so then we go to the actual meeting of the Board of Regents. Yes. And flittering about is Boot St. Clair, Jamie Gertz, as you previously um, mentioned. Yes. God, she is delightful. She is wonderful. She is supposed to be the character that you love to hate, and she is. she understands that, and she nails it. Yes, yes, I she mean, does. She is great. This is her third out of four appearances. This is only the third time I've seen her. And I, I, I would have said she's been on a half a dozen so far and that there's still a lot more to come. But she has made quite an impression. So many people remember her from the Facts of Life. Uh, in four. Yeah, she, she takes total command of that role. I mean, just, yeah. you know, no, she walks into a room and you, you can't help it. Yeah. No, but she's, look at her. She's terrific. She, yeah, she's wonderful. Yeah. So she welcomes Joe. She introduces Joe to this gorgeous blonde boy named Steve Garland. He's the captain of the football team. He's another student on the board of regents, or as they call themselves, regents. Ooh, fancy. That's going to come up later. Like Cher, just one name. Yeah. (laughs) This is played by Bruce Penhall. That's who the actor is. He had just been uh, in a multi-episode stint on Chips. Really? (laughs) He's listed as Cadet Bruce Nelson and then later Officer Bruce Nelson. So I assume he's some type of a protege to Ponch and John. I never watched Chips. Uh, It's a little watch Chips. Yeah. It's weird. For being a young gay boy, I should have been watching it to lust after the dudes. What were you watching? I was watching Charlie's Angels and Wonder Woman oh, and the Facts yeah. of Life. I was, I was too busy identifying with the girls yeah. as opposed to lusting after the guys. So, <laughs> and I think that might still be the case today, but we, that, that's between me and my therapist. That's another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and then wow. shortly after we meet him, and he's very, very, very cute. I believe he did make the top 20 hottest guys on the facts of life list that the new now next logo website put out a few years ago. Really? Uh, yeah. But then speaking of not hot, then we meet chairman Beaumont. <laughs> this is the of big some... white dude, the old white Our dude in charge. Is. Let's, let's yeah. just lay it out there. Yeah. Um, get this. The actor the is the quote unquote man. The man. His name is John Randolph is the actor uh, Tell me, his, he's like some big Shakespearean th- actor who's done. <laughs> here's the thing: his career goes all the way back to the late '40s. So he's one of wow. these veteran actors who was there at the dawn of television. Wow! He was Chevy Chase's dad in Christmas Vacation. Oh my God! Now I have mm-hmm. to go back and I have to go back and look. He 
after this, three years after this episode airs, he would go on to win the Tony Award for Best Supporting <gasps> Actor in Neil Simon's Broadway Bound. Wow. So, yeah, he still had cool. a Tony Award-winning performance ahead of him. Amazing. And uh, homosexual men will remember him from the pilot for Wonder Woman. He was the original General Blankenship. <laughs> Later replaced by Richard Eastam in all the subsequent episodes. But in the pilot, oh, he was awesome. General Blankenship. Now, and at the time you were watching Wonder Woman, did you catch this crossover? No, I did not. I did not. <laughs> <laughs> and, and here's the other, speaking of crossovers and connections, in the original Wonder Woman pilot, Wonder Woman's mother, Cloris mm-hmm. Leachman. Facts of life. Oh, my God. What? All roads, Six everything. Facts to life. <laughs> all roads lead to, lead to peak skill. Uh, so... Um, but he's great. I mean, you know, his character isn't necessarily likable, but he's not evil, awful. He could he's have been exact- more of a dick. Yeah, he's exactly what the part needed. Yeah. No, he was because, great. Because, yeah, he had to be believable at the end when Joe learns her valuable lesson. Yeah. In order for the for the episode to have its impact, you, can't, you couldn't, you, you, they couldn't make him a villain. Yes, like exactly. True, true. Very, very true. Joe is the villain. Because exactly, oh my God, you're so right. I, I need to stop yeah. saying exactly, but you are so exact on everything, Lynn. You are getting it all right. Uh, um, I'm proving that every, every villain is a hero of their own story. I know I am. Anyhow, there's also a guy in in this board meeting named Hal, played by actor Fred Grossinger, sometimes credited as Fred Holiday. And uh, he's a big-time veteran actor. So is the woman, Louise, who's trying to keep them on task and keep mm-hmm. the books balanced, Erica Yon. And Fred is a little more of um, the villain. He's kind of the more antagonistically, uh, consistently antagonistic toward Joe. And yeah. uh, Louise is just, she just seems like she's so put upon. She's like, <laughs> fuck these guys. <laughs> I don't know to be honest. but the deal is they are also there they are also characters with lesser things he's kind of the muscle (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) brawn to to beaumont spring he's the one that shows up at the dorm room at night (laughs) throws a brick through people's windows when they're not voting the way they want them to that's fred that's got fred written all over it yeah (laughs) well there is a running joke of calling her joel polnikak of him not being able to pronounce her name this is beaumont i'm talking about now um they blow through a few things they call a vote blah 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 and then joe starts in with the hey 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 i want to talk about this increase in the student activity fee Mm -hmm. and they're like it's not on the agenda and it's one of those, yeah, Joe, did nobody tell you when you're on a board and you go to a board meeting, there's usually an agenda. Read the handbook. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But they still bake a sidebar for her. And they, they, they make allowances. Allocate some funds and help her out. And they say they're not going to raise the student activity fee. They take some money out of a building fund, much to Louise's dismay. And <laughs> boom, he slams his gavel down. It's good to go. That's great. So he's like, now let's get back to the agenda. And Joe was like, but there's also a lot of scholarships going away. And she doesn't explicitly say it, but we know that this is something she does believe passionately in because Joe is a scholarship student. She would not be there otherwise. Yes. So she talks about, we need to do something about the scholarship fund. And they're like, well, it's either that or the professors don't get raises. So <laughs> that's not going to happen. The professors haven't had raises for two years. So. Yeah. 
Exactly. They're like, no, we're taking care of our people. And you can't fault them for that. You really yeah. can't. No, you can't. So, so then the next item on the agenda is, oh, one of our greatest benefactors, Dick Patterson. Good old Dick Patterson. I, I loved him on Eight is Enough. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm sorry. That would be, uh, that would be Dick Van Patten. Van uh, Patten. <clears throat> But he is one of, uh, he is called and referred to as Langley's richest graduate. I'm glad they keep track of the income of all of their alumni. You, you know those alumni associations. Do you not get mail from your university? I, I do. I shred it on a regular basis. Oh, my God. It's terrible. Are, phone call. I, I went to UMass Amherst. If I get a phone call from Amherst, Mass, I'm like, click, decline. Nope, not sending you no money. You <laughs> got my like tuition. like cookies that you owe money to. They're relentless. Uh, yeah, it's true. It's so true. So the news is that this Dick Patterson dude is uh, donating $500,000 to the college so that they can put in a new scoreboard in their stadium. Yeah. Lights up. It's going to be... Amazing. It's, they are all ooing and eyeing over this thing. It's like a great big shiny bleeping and blipping toy. Yeah. And it, it's, it's like, like a big electric penis. <laughs> yes. Isn't that nice of Dick to do that? <laughs> to donate his giant penis. Isn't that nice. Swinging, swinging his financial <laughs> dick around for everyone That's to right. see. So Joe is like, half a million dollars for a scoreboard. Fuck the scoreboard. You can use that money for the scholarships. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> and they're like, no, 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 no. And Joe gets angry. And she's like, the students aren't going to stand for this. And they're like, well, you know, you could spend more than five minutes in a goddamn meeting before you start slamming your fist on the table, bitch. You might want to read and, the room. And you, and you have paraphrased all of that except for the bitch and goddamn part, those are actual quotes from the show. We, we thank Joan Rivers for that, for bringing right. the word bitch into the primetime. Into uh, the vernacular. Yeah, vernacular. <laughs> so, um, so they're, they're, you know, Joe is really, really mad and she's all, mm. and, uh, and she, that, the big thing she says is the students aren't going to stand for this. And she sits there and stews and broods for the rest of the meeting. So then we come over back to the house behind Edna's edibles. Tootie is on the phone with Gamma Gamma. And Natalie is on a different phone with Zeta Beta. And apparently Joe has not just mobilized and politicized uh, her, her cause. She is apparently on the fucking lecture circuit. They're calling to schedule times for her to come and talk to. The She's hitting every kegger on I, campus. This, what? <laughs> and uh, before we even go there, Lynn, we have to address how the fuck are Tootie and Natalie on two different phones at the same time? They do not have two phone lines at this store. <laughs> we just last week, Lynn, had a circumstance where the phone in the front of the store, so the business mm -hmm. phone, rang. and. Tootie answered it, and Natalie said, I'll take it in the living room. So she went and did the old pick up the extension. Okay, <gasps> you can hang it up now. So we know that they have one phone for both the business <laughs> and their personal use. 
I don't agree with that. They could have, should have had two to be able to separate the two. But right. in this case, now we miraculously mm. have two phone lines, neither of which is dedicated to the business that's supposed to be taking place. Maybe there's lost footage somewhere on the cutting room floor of the guy who came to install the second phone line. <laughs> that was when George Clooney first appeared, and they went, nope, he's not ready. Aw, George Clooney. Aww. He's coming up, coming up soon, mm. very soon. Uh, so these speaking engagements are just fucking weird. And Mrs. Garrett is kind of hurt because earlier when Joe said, what's for dinner? Clearly, she was used to Mrs. Garrett preparing a whole meal for the entire household. Uh, wow, must be nice. And at this point, she has a whole meal now. It's a different night. But Mrs. Garrett is like, is anybody going to eat dinner with me? Are you too busy on the phone being her fucking secretary? <laughs> and then they say, well, Mrs. Garrett, Joe appointed us as the heads of her communications committee. I'm what? You're practically apoplectic about this, David. I'm, <laughs> I'm just like, you're on a blow blood board. You're on a board. <laughs> you have been to one meeting. You don't even know what the fuck you're doing. And you're appointing a committee? And then she walks in. Finally, when Joe arrives, she's got a goddamn entourage with her. This guy That's and this right. girl who are with her. And it's like she has a, has a team now. And I'm oh, like, you see, you see here, she's got her own Fred now. See, this is oh, where the corruption starts. That's this is where it, is. it starts. This is how it starts, David. Oh. <laughs> so anyway, yes, I am apoplectic and I'm about to continue <laughs> apoplecting, my dear. Brace yourself, Effie. All right. But what has happened is Joe has already gotten her people to pass out handbills. I believe we would call them flyers in the 20th century. And uh, it's a big scholarships, yes, scoreboards, no. She's basically put out word to the student body and is getting their support that, yeah, it is ridiculous to spend this amount of money on a scoreboard when our scholarship fund is suffering. Uh, and in learning that she has these speaking engagements and they're just so overwhelming. I mean, there's two of them, Lynn. So That's Joe right. says, why don't I speak, get a room at the student union and do one speaking engagement and talk to everybody. And the two, by the way, their names are Ashley and Roger. And they, Ashley is still working. Roger is not. We still see credits for her recently within the last decade. Uh, Roger, I think, got out of the business. And, uh, but Ashley and Roger are like, well, we'll get right on it. Boom. They're calling the student union and they're getting to it. And uh, Ashley is kind of the business one. Roger sits down at the table and Mrs. Garrett is just so happy to have he's, somebody eating her food. That's, that's right. He's the one that sits down and starts eating. I remember. And the fact that they're so familiar in how they come into the house, how he sits down, he's like, ooh, that looks good. There, there's no sense of, oh, Mrs. Garrett, I'd like you to meet my team. So, They've clearly been there before. There's familiarity. This has already been going on. And the reaction shots of Mrs. Garrett are quite magnificent. Whereas she is, there is a sense of, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> and anyhow, then the big moment happens right before the commercial. What happens is we have two things kind of happen. One is mm -hmm. Joe gets on the, on the phone and she's like, oh, they, they don't have a room. And Joe's like, 
Ashley says they don't have a room. And Joe gets on the phone and says, well, let me talk to him. Maybe I can do it. And she's like, yeah, I know you don't have a room. And she's like, you know, I am a regent. Who is it oh. that suggests to her that she can tell them that she's a regent? Somebody puts that idea into her head. And I can't remember if it's Mindy or if it's, if it's mm. like, is, is it, it Tootie Natalie that does that? Or somebody does. It might have been Natalie or Tootie. But somebody okay. puts that idea in her head and says, Joe, you're a regent. Yeah. Well, so she says, so she mentions it. And I was like. Yeah. So she says, uh, I'm a regent. Oh, really? Uh, yes. That means something? I have a room tomorrow? You're going to put it into the agenda for the thing? You know, it was suddenly like doors mm. opened up magically for her. That's right. And, and so, that's when it began. That's when it begins. So then. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then she goes into the next thing and we get Mrs. Garrett starting to look uneasy. She's looking uncomfortable with the girls. <laughs> Beautiful. I love that. So then... um. Uh, Joe refers to the scoreboard somewhere as stupid. And Mrs. Garrett says, so, uh, Joe, do all the other regents think it's stupid? And Joe's response is, no, but who cares? They're wrong and I'm right. right. And then someone suggests, hey, maybe we could get an article into the Langleyan, which is the school newspaper, about this or that. And then someone says, I think Ashley then says, oh, no, you can't. This is the cutoff. We're, we're past the cutoff deadline for publishing. And Joe says, uh, not for a regent there, no. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting serpentine with my head. I'm getting all, mm-hmm. Emperor Palpatine, hello. Yeah. <laughs> And so Mrs. Garrett does intervene, being the voice of reason as she always is. Mm -hmm. She says, what kind of an attitude is that? She says, you know, Joe, you're going to have to work with these people. And Joe (laughs) says, no, these people are going to start having to see things my way. And when I'm through with them, they're going to wish they never heard the name Joe Polnikak. Fade to black. In your face, Fred. Yes, exactly. (laughs) As we fade to black, we hear that fuck you, Fred. We have to sit through a tampon commercial to find out what happened. (laughs) (laughs) So this is commercial. This is the cliffhanger of, oh my God, Joe has gone off the deep end and we do not know if she's going to make it back, Lynn. It's scary. It is scary. but Not as scary as the fingernail collection that Mrs. Garrett keeps in the (laughs) attic, but it is a little scary. But while we were at commercial, Lynn, I like to do a little getting to know you with my guests. And I know typically actors hate talking about themselves. I know (laughs) I do. So if I could just ask you uh, some questions to give us a quick travelogue through your life and career. Sure. Lynn, writer, where were you born? uh, Almeida. (laughs) Uh, I was was born in uh, Italy. Italy? Mm -hmm. For realsies? Yeah, for realsies. Wow. How, how did that come about? Uh, well, David, when a man <laughs> and a woman love each other. I mean, are your parents both Italian people or were you like a, <laughs> an Air Force brat or what? Air Force, yeah. My, yeah, my father was in the Air Force. He was stationed in uh, uh, Air Base in Vicenza. So mm-hmm. that's where I was born. Wow. I don't know if I was conceived stateside or not. I'm not sure. Okay, so are you, do you have dual citizenship or? I did up until I was 18, I think. And then you either declare or uh, you are just given, because I was here in the States, I was just. You're just. Granted, like, yeah. you're, 
you're an American. Yeah. We're done here. Okay. Yes. Very yeah. cool. And uh, yeah. so where did you primarily grow up or do you have a, a list as an Air Force <laughs> child? I have, a, I have a list that is shorter than most Air Force brats. Okay. Um, so we lived in um, Wisconsin very briefly when I was a kid. Um, and uh, we lived, we kind of bounced back and forth between San Antonio and Washington, D.C., because there were two large Air Force bases that my father was was stationed at. Mm -hmm. So we kind of bounced back and forth between okay. the two. And when did you first get into performing? When was that a thing for you? Um, well, the first time I remember kind of was seeing a, uh, a production of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, and I was probably about nine or ten at the time, and just was had the top of my head blown off. Mm -hmm. and uh, dabbled at the community center. There was like this kids drama class, you know, that, uh, that I participated in. And I, you know, I, I, did, I did drama when I was in high school, but I didn't do any acting per se in any of the shows just because I was too scared. Oh, really? Tears. You were too scared? Yeah. Oh, I was super, super, super shy. Yeah. Uh -huh. Did um, you go on to study in, in college? I did. I did. I, uh, I went to what was called Southwest Texas State University at the time. Now it's changed to Texas University, mm -hmm. um, the Texas State. And uh, yeah, so I declared as a theater major um, because I was, in large part because I was afraid, because I was so terribly shy. I was afraid that if I did not, uh, if I didn't do it, then I, would, I was not going to survive in this cold, cruel world. Uh-huh. So, but you knew so, you wanted yeah. to do it. I knew I wanted to do it and I just didn't have the courage and I thought I, I've got to do this. Otherwise I'm just, I'm never, I'm never going to make it. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. And then but, how did you get from college? What, what happened between there and your coming to central Florida and Orlando? And yeah. Ugh. Well, um, yeah, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> so I graduated, uh, in the midst of a recession and, <laughs> mm -hmm. So yeah, struggled for a couple of years and then wound up getting a job at Fiesta Texas in San Antonio, which was a theme park owned by Gaylord uh, oh. Entertainment at the time. It was the sister park to um, the National. Land. It was Opryland. Yeah. So yeah, so I got it. My first job there was as a dresser for Streetmosphere. Uh. And then I met Herbie Hansen there and Debbie. And uh, yeah, and I eventually got a job doing the Divorced Players. Oh, so wait a minute. And Herbie and Debbie, two more people I need to get on this show. Yeah. Herbie was a show director there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and, and this uh, is in Texas. This is in San Antonio. Oh, yeah. For heaven's yeah. sake. Now, Herbie Hansen is one of the founders of the SAC Comedy Lab, the, mm -hmm. you know, kind of improv home here in Orlando, and yes. is pretty much the man who is responsible for mm -hmm. street entertainment mm -hmm. and improvisers being a part of theme park entertainment. At Disney. Yes. Herbie's a yes, big, I, big name there. Yeah. So performed there for a couple of years and then uh, became a stage manager there after Six Flags came in uh -huh. and uh, did that for a while. And then, uh, gosh, I moved to Nashville after that and worked at the Opry, Grand Ole Opry, oh, for a couple nice. of years. Yeah. And, uh, and what was did, the first, what was the first job you had when you, what, what brought you to Disney? Well, I, had decided to leave the business and mm -hmm. went to paralegal school because I've always enjoyed the law. Oh. And, uh, <laughs> and so was it finished paralegal school. And as a gift to myself, I decided to go visit uh, Rick Cruz and Bill Shepard, who I went to college with Rick and worked at 
Fiesta Texas with Bill Shepard, who were stage managers at Pleasure Island at the time at the warehouse oh. and the act club. And so I came and it just so happened that while I was there, there was an, uh, a, an audition. They were looking for people for Comedy Warehouse and uh, he convinced me to go to the audition. So I went and uh, Mike Corka saw me and, and said, hey, you know, we don't have any full-time positions, but if you want to come and train for Comedy Warehouse, you know, we need some subs. So I kind of thought about it and thought, well, why not? So I moved. I moved out here. I had a full-time job set up as a working at a, in a title company because that's oh, yeah. kind of the work I was doing. And I went to rehearsal for Comedy Warehouse and I never went to that job because while I was in my burning week at the Comedy Warehouse, I auditioned for the holidays. I think it was for the, for the holidays. Holidays stuff. around like, the world? Yeah, yeah. At Epcot. Like, yeah. 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 And uh, Ken Malquist saw me there and uh, Steve Peterson, and they, uh, I got the job at DEG full-time as a site visit actor, their first full-time site visit actor. So. Oh, so you were doing the conventions full-time. Yeah, wow. yeah I was there for like five years, yeah. Five I did not did know that. That's, that's mm-hmm. what uh, Sheila Smith-Ward does these days. Yep. And Sheila Smith-Ward, another person I need to get on the podcast. I was going to say. <laughs> and Terry, her husband, a magician, kind of, you know, a little on the famous side, but. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's really cool. You hear that's about stories story. like the, particularly in the theme park world of the, I just went to an audition while I was here on vacation and I haven't left in 15 years kind of a mm-hmm. thing. <laughs> and you also have done other, other attractions. You also have substituted at Universal mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, other things. Did you ever do any of the, the dinner attractions? Did you ever do like Capone's or Sleuth's? No, I never did any of the dinner attractions. I mean, despite the fact that I did the Adventurers Club as a sub for, uh, <laughs> I'm not a singer, so. And nowadays, you are found full-time working with your friends over at the Monsters Incorporated Laugh Yes, Floor. yes, in the before times, yes. <laughs> yes, the, yeah, we, w- nowadays we don't know. Uh, we don't know what I do for a living, so yeah. <laughs> you know, any of us do. Well, that's great. I'm so glad to have gotten you here. It's, it's convenient that so many of us are in this holding pattern waiting right? to be called back to work. And it's been great for me because people find it hard to say no. It's like, <laughs> it's like shit, David <laughs> it's, knows it's, I got nothing else going on. <laughs> Fuck. Exactly. Which is why I was totally honest with you and said, David, this scares the shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that you would be intimidated by my little shit show. Oh my God. When- <laughs> Is that related to the shit salad that's in Edna's Edna Garrett's kitchen? <laughs> shit salad in a shit show. <laughs> shit salad. <laughs> so I have always loved whenever we've worked together, and um, I'm hoping you're less intimidated now. I, I, I had a great time. I had, a, I had a really good time. This I'm is, hoping this you're was, yeah, enjoying less... this and not like counting the minutes until we're done. But no, uh, yeah, no. I figured is, anybody. Yeah, this is great. If there's anybody who could roll with the punches and just have a good time with it, as you have been doing. So this is like, girl, you are in your element. You need to do more podcasts. Oh, well. <laughs> well, Lynn Ryder. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> enough about you. I'm going to go self-flagellate myself for a while now. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds dirty, uh, but it's not. hi We need to get back to the facts of life in this important <laughs> All story. Right. All right. There's a lesson. <laughs> yeah, sorry. We have to <laughs> deliver the moral of our... Exactly. And then talk about how it, you know, is reflected in our modern times. Yes. That's right. Mm-hmm. 
So the next day, we have got Tootie and Natalie at the house preparing mm-hmm. for an upcoming demonstration that Joe and her people have orchestrated. And uh, Joe comes in unhappy because there is an editorial in the Langlian about their crusade, and it is not in their favor, and she is sure that Beaumont probably dictated every word of it. And Fake news. Uh, exactly. Hashtag. <laughs> Fake news. <laughs> Anyhow. Um, uh, so, uh, Tootie and Natalie show the signs that they made. And Joe is mad. They're not exactly what she asked them to do. And she yells at Natalie. And Mrs. Garrett's like, girls, why don't you go work in the shop while I bitch slap this cunt? (laughs) But but the deal is, uh, Mrs. Garrett says, what are you doing? And Joe is like, hey, hey, Mrs. Garrett, it's kind of like a, I'm a regent. I don't have time to play around here, is what she says. And Mrs. Garrett says, or time to say thank you. And Joe is kind of like, well, whatever. So they're planning on how she's going to appear at the speech, whether she's going to be in front of the crowd or emerge from the crowd. That's right. Or, I mean, at one point it was just like, Zip line into the building. <laughs> exactly. I was like, at one point, what they're like, Elvis? Come on. Exactly. It's like, okay, we're going to have a platform and a cross that you are going to be. Uh, it's like, we're going to set it on fire. And then <laughs> when the when power goes off, that's when you show up. The, the Technicolor dream code and oh have a God. smoke explosion. They never take these episodes too far. They just don't they go never far do. enough. They never Man. do. <laughs> Well, um, Blair comes in. She's got uh, signatures on uh, petitions. And Joe is like, eh, fuck petitions. They're wimpy. We need something to show them that I'm a force on this campus. I'm a force. Mm-hmm. Oh, how off the deep end we've gone, Joe. <laughs> and then Mrs. Garrett says, there are several large young men asking for you this in the shop. Yeah. Yeah, this gets good. And then it gets good. Then we go into the shop and Joey's. And I have by. an image, like before we go into the scene, when, when Edda says this, I have an image of, I'm thinking it's like Fred and he's got like a big wrench in his hand. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's yeah. waiting. Or, or just guys a, in suits and, and fedoras. Uh, yeah, I'm going. thinking there's going to be a beat down and then I remember what show we're watching. Yeah, exactly. Be like, you know. And then, I, uh, then I'm a little disappointed. Yeah, this scoreboard doesn't go up. It'd be a shame <laughs> if something would have happened to you. <laughs> No, 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 no. That's not what it is. And he's got like one of Edna's tarts in his hand and he just squeezes the (laughs) custard comes oozing out of his fingers. That's for dramatic effect. Next time, I ain't gonna be so nice. It's gonna be your skull. (laughs) Next time, (laughs) it's gonna be in a plan. (laughs) Next time, (laughs) you don't want to see what I'm gonna do to the cheese puffs. (laughs) <laughs> but in fact, no, no, we are not lucky enough. You and I have rewritten yeah. this episode to hilarious yes. extent. But no, 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 we don't get something as lively as what you and I propose. No. Instead, we get uh, Steve Garland, cute blonde guy from the board meeting, mm-hmm. a fellow regent, uh, yes. with two of his very tall, very large football player friends. And one interesting thing is it does 
uh, amplify the fact that Steve is not a particularly tall man. And so the fact that he's the quarterback of the football team. <laughs> and I did look to see how tall these guys were because uh, there's one of the guys, I'm going to call him no name, no lines. Because he has literally no name, no credit, and no yeah. lines. In the episode, it's like he's not there. But the other one who does the talking, did you recognize him, Lynn? Uh, okay, okay. I think I did, but I'm not absolutely sure uh -huh. that I recognized him. Uh, it is, did you want to make a guess? Is it Biff it was? from Back to the Future? It is Biff from Back to the it's Future. It's Biff from Back to the Future. Tom Wilson, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Professionally known as Thomas F. Wilson, but I call him Tom because I'm a close personal stranger to him. And... Uh, he is, bear in mind, this is January of 84. This was taped late 83. Mm -hmm. Back to the Future was probably about to go into production. Um, what's his face was cast Eric is. Stoltz. Eric Stoltz. That's what yeah. I was just going to say. We know that it had a protracted production schedule because mm -hmm. they couldn't get Michael J. Fox. So they used Eric Stoltz. And they, I think they filmed for something like six weeks yeah. Before they said, we, we're, we're calling it. We can't use him. This, this footage is not usable. But, you know, Tom would have been there for all of that, as Biff, mm -hmm. one assumes. So he would have probably started filming Back to the Future very soon after this broadcast. And, and his life would change completely. Yeah. But in this case, he introduces himself as Randall Lippincott. <laughs> or as I like to call it, Whitey <laughs> McWhites a lot. <laughs> Randall Lippicott. He's lucky he wasn't in that Regents meeting and they would have mispronounced the hell out of that name. I know. But he is also credited by his nickname on the show, which is Moose. That's right. Moose. Uh -huh. That was they really reached the reach for the <laughs> reach for the creative stars on that one. Yeah, gee, a football player what named Moose. That's crazy. The, I did look up though. Tom Wilson, according to IMDb, is six foot two and a half. Not okay. six foot two, six foot two and a half. That, that's a very important half inch, apparently. That's a defining half inch. As we all know, men are, you know, you know yeah. every, every half inch half counts. Inch, half inches are very important <laughs> Every to half us inch men. in Hollywood counts. It's right. <laughs> Don't you shame us, Lynn, for our half inches. I'm not shaming you. I'm just pointing out the obvious. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so how tall is uh, little, uh, little quarterback? I, I don't like? know how tall little quarterback is, but I just want to point out that uh, I, I'm sorry. Tom Wilson next to him looks like he is seven feet tall. He looks he like looks Chewbacca. I mean, he, he's, yeah, he looks giant. massive. Yeah. This and dude must remember, have been like 5'5". Five, five. <laughs> he must have been like yeah. Michael J. Fox. Well, think of it this way. Nancy McKeon, I think, was the tallest of all the girls uh -huh. Nancy McKean is a tall, and I think she's 5'4". And really? she will not wear <gasps> heels. So she is in flats. We and know he, this. Was he shorter than she is? I don't think he was shorter was than he, she was. Was he shorter? No, he wasn't shorter than she was, but he certainly wasn't much taller. Typically Joe easily could have beat the shit out of him. <laughs> Putting Tom Wilson next to him <laughs> was certainly not helping his case that, yeah, he's the quarterback because he can duck down between the legs of the other dudes. <laughs> running to make a goal basket pass thing, uh, right? <laughs> anyway, I digress. I digress. Okay. <laughs> but what it boils down to, the scene just is a back and forth 
they basically are there to kind of like say, Joe, come on, really? He gives money to the school every year. We should let this guy give us the present that the guy wants to give us. And she's like, oh, they only give it to the sports team. And essentially, not only does Joe say, no, you cannot convince me otherwise, I am immovable. (laughs) Then she goes so far as to insult Randall slash Moose and deliberately provoke him. Yes. And then, unfortunately, her little lackey, Roger, gets involved. Mm -hmm. And suddenly, she has deliberately, if you go back and watch her facial expressions as she is insulting Tom Wilson, she is deliberately instigating a fist fight. That's right. That does happen in the middle of the fucking store where she works. It's like, what what are you doing? Joe, speaking of scholarships, you're not just at this school on a scholarship. The part of your uh, tuition that is being made up, not having to pay for the dorm, is because you live at Mrs. Garrett's and work in the store. This is like, this is such a, a beyond, beyond insane um, betrayal of her circumstance, of Mrs. Garrett, of her work, of her home. It's, it is like, wow, if you guys wanted to really exemplify that she has gone off the deep end, holy fuck balls. <laughs> so that's me continuing to apoplectasize. You are apoplectasizing. I am almost speechless. I've never been speechless in my life, but I'm almost speechless right now. So in the next scene, we are outside the boardroom. There's a demonstration. Everyone is like, no, scoreboard, fuck the scoreboard. And Joe enters and they all cheer. She's a hero. She enters through the crowd, by the way. Yes, yes, exactly. And they're singing, Paul Nacek, superstar. No, That's right. (laughs) So um, Blair comes in with the news that somebody trashed the football locker rooms. And she says, I hope you didn't orchestrate that. And Joe, I believe honestly, says, no, I did not. What are you talking about? And then a guy from the Peekskill Press shows up, and uh, Joe is kind of like, yeah, 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 hang on. I'm, (laughs) you know, busy here. And uh, Blair talks about the facts that, you know, there are like fights breaking out on campus. You know, it is just a scoreboard. And then finally, Beaumont enters. And there's a little uh, verbal sparring that happens before they go in to the boardroom. And he says, he talked to Duke Patterson. And he says, Duke is insisting he wants a scoreboard. And he says, I asked him if we could buy a cheaper one. And he said, yes, they could allocate $100,000 of the half a million to go to the scholarship fund and then get a $400,000 scoreboard. And Duke Patterson has agreed to it. And Joe was like, no, it's still a scoreboard. Go fuck yourselves. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. And, and then Joe even turns to the crowd and says, oh, what is that? Sounds like a bribe to me. And he's like, honest to God, I'll see you inside. And that's where you're like, you know what, Beaumont, for being a, you know, a very by the book and for being very task-driven and business-oriented as he was presented in the first scene, the fact that he was the one that if assuming he's telling the truth that there's no 
extra layers going on here. But the fact that he said, well, maybe I could propose a compromise. He literally said, I am putting forth and instigating a compromise that may be beneficial to everybody. And Joe was like, no. And you're like, girl, girl, stop it. So then we get into the boardroom. And it's all this back and forth thing. Boots is there. Mm-hmm. Um, we have letters from the alumni who are angry about the riots, the fact that this is even a thing. And they end up voting on it. And Joe puts forth basically saying no, telling this Beaumont guy, no, no scoreboard period. Joe has completely lost sight. It, she, her, we need money for scholarships has become my um, negativity toward the scoreboard is the thing that's buying me political power and popularity. All about the messaging. Mm-hmm. And so she makes a motion to say no. And uh, our friend uh, Joyce or Jane or whatever her name is, the woman in the room, the, the poor put upon female in this situation says, if it will stop all of this stupid bullshit, I will second the motion. Could we just vote and be done with this? So they vote and it passes. And Beaumont's like, fine, I'll go make a phone call. We're done. And uh, the last moment before everybody leaves, Beaumont and Joe are left alone. And there's this little interaction. And it's, it's beautiful. I love it. The sexual tension is palpable. Enough. <laughs> no. It's like, they are so going to make out. They are so going to make out right now. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's going to be a backroom deal. It's happening. This is the, we're in the room where it happens. <laughs> now we know who's going to score over the scoreboard. Okay. In fact, Joe half-heartedly says, oh, well, sorry, I wasn't, hope I wasn't too much of a pain in the ass. Ha, ha, ha. One of those, yeah, I'm apologizing, but I'm happy I got my way. Humble brag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, oh my God, I'm a total mess. Don't even get involved with me. I am such, such a <laughs> I am such a mess. Oh my God, don't even. So he says to her, what? You're not creating a big problem for me. He says, I have to call Duke Patterson and tell him I've saved him half a million bucks. That's nothing, girly girl. And uh, he does say, though, this is, I'm, I'm quoting him now. But when all of this rah-rah dies down, you know, you're going to have a lot of explaining to do to your fans out there. And that's good. I'm like, I like this guy because he, he could be really angry. And it is brought up earlier that, okay, if someone offers you a gift of this magnitude and you say no, how do we know he is ever going to give anything to the school again in the future? And yeah, he's not wrong. He's really not. He's very much brought into the scene as the potential villain. And like, you're right. It's like Joe ends up the villain of this story. So then he, ends, he exits and then in comes Blair. Blair, the voice of reason, the only person who can tell Joe what's really happening and call her out on her shit. And she says, okay, are you happy? And she's like, yeah. And she says, can I ask you something? And she says, yeah. Are you crazy? And Joe's like, what? And she says, you just turned down $100,000 in scholarship money. And she's like, so what? And she's like, that's not what they were screaming. And she says, no, they were screaming Joe. And 
Blair says you were committed and dedicated and you wanted to make a difference, but now you just want power. And Joe says, I gave them what they wanted. And Blair says, I thought they wanted scholarship money and you could have gotten it, even if it meant staring at some stupid scoreboard. And then you start hearing the cheering outside. And Joe at this point is realizing, oh fuck, what have I done? So, what monster have I become? Exactly. No, don't look at me, Blair. Like I'm that hideous. Scene at, the scene at the end of Dangerous Liaisons is Glenn Close is taking the makeup off her yeah. face, <laughs> weeping. What have I become? Yes, exactly. <laughs> the facade drips away, and who am I? <laughs> but the deal is, Joe, listening to the cheers, says, "Listen to them, though. What am I gonna do?" And Blair says go out there and tell them that you screwed up. You're going to eat that shit salad is what you're going to do, Joe. Yes, that's right. You got, you, remember the shit salad Mrs. Garrett made? Well, it's Time now a shit it. sandwich. <laughs> yeah, and you're going right. to eat it. Every bite. Crusts and all, bitch. <laughs> and Joe is like, what do you mean? Humiliate myself? No, no, no. It's too late for that. And Blair's like, no, it's not. Tell the people. And then crawl over to Beaumont's office and ask him if the board can reconsider. She opens the door. It's kind of like uh, this beautiful unspoken thing between Blair and Joe as not quite girlfriends, <laughs> but girlfriends. <laughs> for, for, those, for, for the people monitoring the lesbianic overtones of this show, there is this sense of, yeah, it had to be Blair. It couldn't have been Mrs. Garrett coming in. I mean, it could have been, but it wouldn't have been nearly as effective yeah. as Blair, her peer, calling her out and saying, you can still do this. And the fact that, you know, Blair is casual, says, so tell them you screwed up. She's not saying, tell them you're a horrible person and I will hate you forever. There's a sense of, I will forgive you and other people will forgive you. And as Joe realizes what she needs to do, she opens the door to confront her sorry fate. And over the cheers of Joe, 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 we freeze frame and roll credits. Oh, so powerful. So, so powerful. But overall, thoughts on the episode? Things, anything we could tweak or change and send to the writers uh, in my time machine to, to rewrite the episode? Any thoughts? Uh, oh, God. I think all of the, everything that we have uh, said in this episode should be instituted into, into that episode. I think, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. I think Fred with a wrench would be good. A couple of teamsters maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest thing to fix and tweak about this is if Joe was going to instigate a fight, I just cannot forgive her for instigating it in the shop. In Edna's edibles. That's that is so completely. It, even if it was just out in front of the store on the street, I would sure. have liked to have seen Spike Lee direct this episode <laughs> and have just like place just wrecked. I mean, just full on Custard riot. On the walls, strawberry trash cans jam. going through plate glass. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> that would be a a great topic. Have famous directors come in and redo episodes of, oh. of facts of life like you know right. yeah what would what would what would george lucas do what would uh oh god what's his face scorsese do? <laughs> <laughs> with this we would have had the men in the fedoras and the suits 
we would have had Joe Pesci. <laughs> and it would have ended a commercial because she would have been like, I'm so fucking scared. I'm quitting. Episode over. We're done. <laughs> Lynn, my darling, thank you so much for doing this. I hope you're not terrified. Oh, gosh, David. I hope this doesn't suck. Terrified. <laughs> I hope this doesn't suck. No, this does not. I can tell you. I'm in it right now. This is so not a sucky episode. All it's right. going to be fantastical. It already is. So right. thank you. I hope we're able to do it again sometime soon. I, I, I would love to. Yes. For now that Rich- you've burst my, my podcast cherry. Yes. You've never been on a podcast ever before. Nope. You nope. said. I've been asked a couple of times, but I've always turned it down because I've just you been too You got to do it. You got to do it. So well, I can't wait to see your face for realsies sometime soon but until then it's been great to see you on the computer screen it's been great to see you let's do it again soon smooches my dear and goodbye goodbye david and there you have it that was lynn Ryder, first podcast and i would say a slam dunk And uh, it's interesting to note that through the course of our talking, you heard, I named no fewer than seven of our fellow actors that I still want to contact and need to get on the show. So I I need to get busy with that. Hmm. But next week, I'm going to be watching season five, episode 17, called A Death in the Family. And I will, of course, have another special guest. You can watch the episode for free at dailymotion.com. I'll post the link in the show notes, and you can also find it at this episode's webpage. And that's it. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's show. I really appreciate it. And remember, the facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was produced, written, hosted, and edited by me, David Almeida. My theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Our website is facethefactspod.com. You have to drop the let's. And that's where you can find extra pictures, video, and audio extras from the digital cutting room floor. Follow the show on social media. We're everywhere under the handle FaceTheFactsPod. You can become a patron of the show by going to patreon.com slash FaceTheFactsPod. And don't forget, go to your favorite podcatchers and subscribe, rate, and review. Tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts. <laughs>